In my house, I wired some of our power outlets and light switches so that I could control them with my smartphone. And for fun, this is my idea of fun, I like to turn my daughter's lights off in the middle of the afternoon while they're playing. They're five and seven, and I tell them it was a ghost, and they are rarely amused. And this technology, which we collectively call the Internet of Things, or IoT, isn't actually new at all. It's actually pretty old. Bill Gates installed IoT devices in his home in 1996. In his book, The Road Ahead, Gates actually describes how these kinds of connected devices, they were the inevitable future. And if you read any of our industry reports, it's obvious that he was totally right. Artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things. So even the Internet of Things. Artificial intelligence and the the Internet of Things. Smart devices. That was a chorus of our analysts talking about their industries. Industries as far-ranging as construction, telecom, real estate, household products, and automobiles. They're all embracing the technology that Bill Gates put in his house 30 years ago. I want to hone in in just one of those industries, household products. And this is Jin Ming Hu. She's our analyst covering the household products sector. And that's the one that sells you refrigerators and dishwashers, among many other things. So the one key trend I think is shaping this industry is really digitalization. So the household durables industry is mainly dominate, dominated by consumer electronics and household appliances industries. So this is really a mini-tech industry. No company is in the household appliances and consumer electronics um, industries can afford to ignore this transformation. Now imagine a world where your refrigerator automatically buys you food when you run low or where your dishwasher orders your detergent and when the temperature of your space is regulated by your specific patterns. These things will fundamentally change how we interact with our world as a consumer and even as a human. And that's an amazing thing. Right? Welcome to ESG Now. I'm your host, Matt Muscardi. And on today's show, is it amazing? Because if you're an investor, maybe not. And to figure it out, we need to look at the issue of data privacy. We'll talk about how regulators today might actually be ahead of both investors and the tech industry, recognizing what might be the next big problem. And really, when it gets down to it, we're going to talk about how the company that makes your dishwasher might end up being more like your bank than you think. Whenever we talk about tech companies, invariably, we end up talking about hacking. And hacking is nothing new. They made a pretty bad movie about hackers in 1995 starring Angelina Jolie that was uninspiringly titled Hackers. But IoT and the devices of today offer a brand new kind of vulnerability, one that until recently only existed really in sci-fi movies and maybe Bill Gates' house. Viruses have already invaded DVR players and cameras, and devices as far-ranging as pacemakers and locks and even cars have been shown vulnerable to takeover. And while some mass IoT attack hasn't yet happened, experts across the tech industry are watching because the information companies have on their users make a breach almost inevitable. And as that risk has risen, regulators have taken notice. Actually, I should say they took notice. Because they took notice around the same time the movie Hackers was released in 1995, 
when the EU published Directive 95-46-EC. And that directive, now more than 20 years later, is remembered as the start of GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which came into force earlier this year. So in the, in a nutshell, you could say that it puts back the individual at the center of the game. So people uh, will be able to obtain, uh, transfer, and reuse their personal data. That's the concept of data portability. Uh, they will also be able to uh, request uh, the company to delete all the data that they own on, on them. That's the so-called uh, rights to be uh, forgotten. And companies uh, will also have to be more transparent and explicit when they ask individuals for the permission to collect and use the data. And uh, a company or an, an organization, they shouldn't ask you to uh, give you consent in exchange of providing you with a service or uh, to make the um, consent a condition of a contract. And that actually makes me think about uh, one of my yoga class, which uh, I think got completely wrong, uh, that concept of the GDPR, because they asked me to reaffirm my consent for the use of my personal data. And they specifically mentioned that um, they, they did that to be in compliance with the GDPR. But they also uh, told me that in exchange of giving my consent, I could get a, a free class. So I don't think they, they were fully in compliance with the GDPR. That was Leslie Swingado, one of our senior analysts based out of our London team, and she spent a lot of time dealing with privacy and data security. So GDPR actually builds on a concept ratified 70 years ago by the United Nations that privacy is a fundamental human right. What GDPR does differently, though, is give that right some teeth. It gives governments the ability to police companies who might be contravening your right to privacy. But for an investor looking at a company that handles really any data that can be linked back to a person, you pretty much have to know about GDPR or it could cost you. So the penalty threat is definitely um, the, the milestone of the GDPR because it's substantial. And uh, it's substantial because uh, we don't want companies to, to ignore that legislation. So there are uh, two levels of fines uh, depending on the severity of the violation. The first one is up to 10 million or 2% of the company's global turnover, whichever is greater. And the second level is up to 20 million or 4% of the company's total revenue. Think of it this way, FANG stocks, which is the acronym for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, the biggest tech companies in the world. They make up nearly 10% of the MSCI World Index constituency today. That's a lot of investor money stacked in just a few companies. And it's certainly enough to make them notice when something goes really wrong. So Facebook um, facing new calls for regulation after reports that uh, a political consultancy group uh, attached to uh, everyone's favorite lightning rod these days, President Donald Trump, gained inappropriate access to 50 million users' data. Yeah, a lot. So... But here's the thing, is that shouldn't we know this by now? Why, why, are, why are we still surprised by this? I think the surprise is that um, it's not, they don't self-regulate as well as it, we thought they would. I mean, the ease with which people give up their private information has, is, is right. relatively shocking. That was Damien Rollis, the yang to my yin. When news of Cambridge Analytica broke, 
the stock market reacted pretty swiftly, sinking the price of Facebook. And while the stock has recovered since, expectations actually may be different going forward. And for two big reasons. First, the largest privacy-related penalty paid prior to GDPR coming into force was a $32 million fine paid by Apple in 2014. And that fine was actually a refund because kids' apps had no controls to stop kids from buying upgrades without parental consent. And I have so many Toka Boca upgrades as a result. In fact, Equifax didn't even pay a fine after losing more than 140 million Americans' credit information, including social security numbers. But GDPR, it changes all of that. For Facebook, they paid a pretty paltry 500,000 pound fine for Cambridge Analytica. But if GDPR was in force, it could have been closer to 1.4 billion pounds. And the second reason is about business model. Facebook and other social media companies, they make their money by offering a service free to use, and they pay for it by selling you. They sell your data. And that separates them from a company like Samsung making dishwashers, at least for now. You know, they're, they're diff- there's another analogy which I liked was, you know, when you go in to print your photos um, at, a, at a Photoshop, you know, you don't, you know, the Photoshop doesn't say, okay, well, we printed your photos, but now we're going we're gonna to keep copies for ourselves and use them however we like, because you're not going to be fine with that, but then you're happy to share your photos on Instagram, and Instagram can do exactly that. They can use your photos uh, in any way that they like. And also for the Internet of Things, these devices, you know, it, it might be the case that you will never know that your device has been hacked and, and the data is feeding off somewhere um, and it's being exploited, but you will never know about it. That was Andrew Young from our London office. He's a senior analyst covering tech industries. And while today there's a pretty big difference between the Facebooks of the world and the Samsungs of the world, Andrew went on to say that going forward, there's reason to think that IoT and social media data could actually converge. And if that happens, the devices themselves become less valuable than the data they can collect. And if you don't believe me, in March of this year, United Health, a health insurer in the U.S., announced it would offer effectively free fitness trackers to customers who share fitness data with them. As this gets more common, an investor's risk could stop being about a hack or a breach. And it actually becomes about something entirely different. It's definitely, definitely the regulatory risk, but then also I think, or how I try to think about it for the tech industries is, is are you, you know, building trust with your users and also with your regulators, or are you eroding trust? You know, and if you erode trust to the point where users will decide to move to a platform with, um, with uh, better privacy protections, then, uh, you know, that might spell the end. Um, Uh, Or that, you know, that erosion of trust might be on the regulatory side where the regulators will say enough is enough and they will will start to, uh, you know, put controls over these uh, platforms. Trust, which makes me think of another industry that trades on trust. It's an industry I covered when I started at MSCI ESG. It's the banks industry. In fact, U.S. Senator Mark Warner, he actually wrote a memorandum this summer that sounded an awful lot like a proposal to regulate tech companies, nearly exactly like we regulate banks. What happens if big tech become, uh, becomes information fiduciaries and are regulated like banks? 
So first of all, I love the idea of an information fiduciary. Um, but I'll start with something I read in Recode um, that said 53% of Americans believe big tech companies should be regulated by the federal government, much like big banks. So what happens when your dishwasher company gets regulated like a bank? Well, if banks are a case study, it could get a lot more expensive than overpaying for Toca Boca. Because according to our data, Bank of America ranks as the most penalized bank in the world in the last 10 years, having paid more than $77 billion, that's billion with a B, in penalties and redress. So what is the industry doing about that possibility now? Is it, is it going to be like the banking industry where regulations are, are strengthened you know, year on year or uh, following each major event? Um, there's a new wave of regulation. Is that is that the way the social media industry is going to be? Um, you know, there's also the the argument uh, that's put out uh, by the social media companies by Silicon Valley. You know, Facebook is one of the biggest lobbyists now in Washington. Um, you know, to to avoid regulation because the the argument goes that if you regulate social media or tech companies in the US, then China will have uh, a step up and will overtake the US on the, techno the technology front. Ah, they're starting to sound like banks already. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And if you have feedback or criticism or you just want to send some love, please email me at matt.muscardi at msci.com and subscribe. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google. Next week is a big week for us. It's Climate Week, so we'll be covering climate-related topics. Stick around for that, and we'll talk to you then. Five- and seven-year-old read lines from hackers. Take one. There is no right or wrong. There is only fun and boring. Five- and seven-year-old read lines from hackers. Take two. What did you learn to school today? Revenge. Five and seven-year-old try to make sense of lines from hackers. Take three. Hack the planet. Hack the planet. I don't get that. Five and seven-year-old misread lines from hackers. Take four. Hack the you hack the Amazon, baby. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong one. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.